Hey, Abby. Hey, John. Have you seen Will? Hmm. No, not since our Cinemaholics Halloween party last night where he dressed up as Joaquin Phoenix from I'm Still Here. Besides, why are you asking me? It's your turn to watch him. My turn? Uh, no, Abby. It's still October 31st. Today's your day to keep an eye on Will. Weren't you going to take him out for ice cream across from Joaquin Phoenix's favorite donut shop? John, you're scaring me again. Today is November 1st. Wait, for daylight savings time, did you turn your clock back a full day? <laughs> uh, Abby, um, haha, ha, lol. It's called fall back for a reason. John, you ignorant snowflake. Who knows where Will went have wandered off to? Sometimes you can be so irresponsible. I want to quit and start my own podcast, where instead of reviewing movies, we discuss autumn, booze, and movie theaters. Cinema follics? Okay, now I'm really mad. Come on, Abby, you're being hysterical. I'm sure Will is fine. In fact, we can go look for him right now. Let's start with his favorite place in the entire internet. The Garfield minus Garfield subreddit? No, no. I guess his second favorite place to hang out. The Joaquin Phoenix IMDb page. Okay, Abby, I think I see him. That looks just like Will Ashton. Uh, John, that's definitely not Will. That's Joaquin Phoenix himself. Ah, dang it. What a complete waste of our time. Well, I guess we should just forget Will ever existed and find someone new to take his place. Maybe Rooney Mara? Hey, guys. Will? Will, Will you're okay. Yeah, why wouldn't I be? Sorry, I know today was my day to keep an eye on you two. Wait, you think you're supposed to keep an eye on us? Yeah, well, you're my friends. I want to make sure you're happy and someone's looking out for you. Gosh, Will, that's just so nice of you. I guess we have been a little condescending toward you lately. It's just so hard to see you growing up so fast. <laughs> I know. I feel exactly the same way about you two. Come on in here for a group hug. Come on, Will. Let's get out of here. We've got some movies to review. Sure thing, guys. I'll be right there. Yeah, just uh, keep walking away. I'll catch up in a sec. Well, it's me, Joaquin. Yeah, yeah, they totally bought it. Uh, your plan for me to be so good at method acting, I do an entire episode of Cinemaholics as Will Ashton without anyone noticing is about to go off without a hitch. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I have to pretend to hate all the movies John loves. That's no problem. Okay, Joaquin out, baby. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics from the San Francisco Bay Area. I am John Agroni, box office columnist for Adam Tickets and editor-in-chief of Cinemaholics. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hello, hello. From Kansas City, she is the film editor for The Pitch. She also has bylines at Slash Film, Crooked Marquee, RogerEber.com, and so many more. It is Abby Olchesi. Hello. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive, on our website, Cinemaholics.com. We also have written reviews and bonus podcasts. You can write into the show anytime by sending us a friendly, polite email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics on there you can also get exclusive merch and speaking of merch we officially have our merch page on cinemaholics.com definitely check that out 
You can get hoodies, you can get shirts, mugs, shot glasses, and more stuff coming soon. Hope you all enjoy the new merch page. It's definitely going to be fun. Fulfilling all of that for all of you listeners who want to rep the show. But uh, just a few off topics to get to this week, because we are going to be reviewing some horror films. Since we are doing this right after Halloween, of course, we will be getting into the festive spirit, yeah, even past the uh, All Hallows' Eve. But yes, off topics. We have an extra milestone out, very fitting for the Halloween season. Sam Noland and guest Guy Simmons Jr. talked about two terrific films. One of them is Alfred Hitchcock's legendary film Psycho, which came out in 1960. So it is celebrating 60 years since it first came out. And also David Fincher's, really the film that put him on the map, which is Seven, the 1995 film is now celebrating 25 years to celebrate both those film anniversaries. Sam Noland and Guy Simmons talked about them uh, at length, and it's a really great bonus episode of the show. You can find it right now on our feed. Now, our other bonus pod that we do, uh, Game Over Man, is off this week. It's going to be delayed, so you can expect that this coming weekend. And that, that's it for Off Topic. So, you know, along with our merch page, not a ton of stuff going on this week. It's been, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's been a slow news week, because definitely some pretty major things have happened, which we'll actually get into with our listener voicemails. But yeah, uh, other than that, it's been kind of, you know, as the election's coming in, it's been, <laughs> I think a lot of people have been, especially stateside, have had their mind on that. I forgot to promote my um, newest episode, A Ogre. But other than that, yeah, I don't have oh, anything else. To please do. Yeah. I mean, we have an October ep of Van Ogre. We brought back our good friend, Anna Rigetti, and uh, it became our longest episode. It topped your longest episode at one point, um, wow. if you remember, from season one. This episode's 74 minutes long, so uh, <laughs> if you are willing to indulge us for that long. I, I actually think it's one of our better episodes in a long while, so I hope people enjoy that. Awesome, yeah. So that podcast is It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre. If you aren't aware, that is the other podcast that Will Ashton does with Matt Serafini, and Hakja Ripja, Chris Sheridan. But all right, uh, listener voicemail. So last week we asked you using the Swell app where you can leave us a voicemail, what are you going to do for Halloween? What are your costumes, any festive plans? And got a couple of fun responses. We're going to play one of them for you all right now. So this one comes to us from Rachel. Again, we asked the question, all right, it's Halloween. I know we're doing this like right after Halloween, but this was recorded uh, ahead of time. I think like a few days before the actual holiday but here is what rachel had to say i love this question i usually love halloween and i look forward to this local like huge light up maze at one of my favorite bars and performance spaces where i live and this year my friends and i are really sad that we won't be able to do that so instead i think i am going to dress up and go for a little ride with a crew of us who ride mopeds. And then hopefully next weekend to extend the celebration, a friend and I are going to go on a socially distant haunted bike ride in a trail here that's near a bunch of abandoned railways. And it's supposed to be very spooky so hopefully it will still be fun, even though it won't be able to be quite as social as it normally is. 
But I'm wondering, so I'm not really into horror movies. I just don't know that much about them other than the few that I've seen. I'm also kind of a baby and get scared really easily. <laughs> but if you were to recommend one horror movie to watch around Halloween, what would it be? I, every Halloween, watch Hocus Pocus, which is not a horror movie, but in my world, it is considered a Halloween classic. All right. So Hocus Pocus is the horror film that Rachel is like, I don't know. It's not really a horror film, I guess, but it's more of like a little spooky family film, uh, mildly spooky. But okay. Yeah. Abby, what what would you recommend? What? Because uh, I think you watched a horror film for Halloween this year. Oh, I watched several. Um, I uh, actually, I first of all, thank you, Rachel, for recognizing that Hocus Pocus is not a horror movie. It is a spooky movie and it is perfect for Halloween, but it is not a horror movie. Um, yeah, I watched I watched several uh, Halloween movies, uh, horror movies over Halloween and over Halloween weekend. Um, I think if you want to go old school, uh, I can put in a plug for uh, the movie Carnival of Souls, which was uh, released oh, in 1960. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of it was shot in my hometown. And in fact, a good portion of it was shot in my church. So uh, I would recommend that if you're kind of into Twilight Zone style scares. There's a lot of uh, kind of good, low-key, creepy stuff going on there that uh, like my mom could handle it. And my mom is pretty mild when it comes to horror movies. So I imagine that it's pretty widely palatable. Well, so is your hometown in Missouri? Like you're there now? Uh, or? My hometown is actually Lawrence, Kansas. So uh, oh, okay. yeah, Kansas City is about 45 minutes away from Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, gotcha. yeah, Herc Harvey, the director of Carnival of Souls, worked for a um, educational film company called Centron Films that was based in Lawrence and is now the home of the uh, KU Film School in that same building. So there's a pretty strong legacy and a lot of love for Carnival of Souls in that area. You know, I've never been to Kansas or Missouri. The middle of the country is one of my like blind spots when it comes to like, you know, just going around the U.S. But I do really appreciate horror films that take place in Kansas. Well, and then again, not a horror film, but isn't Hocus Pocus also partly in Kansas or am I imagining that? Oh, man, if it is, that's news to me. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm putting out a statement that could be completely false, <laughs> so I'm just gonna like rescind it for now. But anyway, uh, what about you, Will Ashton? How was your Halloween this year? Did you? I know you dressed up. Yep. Be sure to tell the listeners. And uh, did you watch any horror films? I don't know actually. Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, a couple horror movies throughout the month. Um, uh, as far as the ones I did watch, a lot of them <laughs> this year unfortunately weren't very good. But um, I did watch a few that uh, I was quite taken by the biggest one, which is one that I think a lot of people had seen before. I just was a newbie to it this year was The Exorcist, the uh, William Franken or uh, Frankenson. I forget, but um, that was the probably the best one <laughs> for obvious reasons, uh, as you can imagine, because it's a classic for a reason. Um, but I also really enjoyed uh, one that I got recommended to me by um, Andrew McMahon when I was on uh, Extra Milestone last which was Road Games, which is a kind of like rear window-esque uh, Australian chase film, which I really enjoyed. It was with Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I feel like I've been recommending that one a lot as well because I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it, at least stateside. I mean, it might be a bigger thing in Australia. Yeah, that's like but... early 80s, right? Yeah, that's 81. It was like the same year that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was in um, the Halloween 2. But, oh. Um, oh, 
And also, I I forgot to um, unmute myself. You were talking about William Friedkin. Yeah. For, for listeners who are curious, for right. who directed The Exorcist, of course. Right, and like French Connection and a bunch of things. Um, but uh, also, I rewatched The Thing, which is a uh, John Carpenter film on Friday, which is obviously a great film and uh, one I can't speak highly enough. So that's also, if you haven't seen The Thing, uh, I would, would highly recommend that one as well. So, You know, I've only seen it once. I've never been like, yeah, I got to watch The Thing again. Is it like very rewarding on rewatch? Yeah, I mean, I... This is the first time I'd watched it, I think, in like nine or ten years because I saw it when the prequel remake thing came out, like in 2011. Uh, yeah. Um, just because I hadn't seen the thing at that time. And uh, I liked it then. Like, I definitely thought it was a good film. But rewatching it, I was really taken by it, and I, I fully recognize that it is uh, worthy of the reputation as received as if not the best John Carpenter movie, then certainly like one of the best. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely um, uh, appreciate it even more upon rewatch. So I would say it's worth the rewatch. All right. Thank you, Rachel, again for participating in our listener voicemails. Oh, yeah. I forgot to say what I did for Halloween. Oops. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't do a lot of festive horror stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't dress up. No like candy for trick or treaters. I was a bit of a Grinch for Halloween this year, <laughs> um, but I did hang out with family and played games and um like did some creative writing it was a fun halloween it's it's kind of weird because like halloween it's it, i can't say rarely but it's not every year that halloween is on a saturday and so i feel like because of all this pandemic stuff it's made like really celebrating in earnest kind of difficult and so i'm a little bummed about that but obviously there are more like worse problems in the world so I, not something i'm dwelling on much but okay our next listener question that we invite you all to answer on the swell app leave us a voicemail we want to know what are your favorite sean connery films now this is definitely a pretty heavy subject sean connery recently passed away at 90 years old and yeah i mean we're talking about one of the legendary actors a guy with a pretty definitely a sordid past when it comes to his personal life uh, his career as an actor we could do an entire episode of cinemaholics talking about really what he contributed to film and a lot of his personal demons a lot of uh, ways the uh, the Bond franchise just really got away from him and how he was able to just really generate uh, such a successful career after that and even during it. And yet, yeah, this, this is somebody who has a very complicated past, uh, you know, has said a lot of really controversial and pretty hateful things. And it's a complicated legacy, but it's one that I think most people will agree generated a lot of good in this world through his work. And we want to know what are some of the films that really stick out to you. Obviously, the James Bond one, James Bond films stick out to me quite a bit. But uh, Abby, you know, we'll talk about this more next week. But yeah, I was curious, just you know, how did you take the news, and um, how are you? What, what have, what's been on your mind since uh, all this news broke out? Well, yeah, that was kind of a bummer to find out. Um, I agree with you. He's had kind of a Sean Connery has had kind of a, a varied mixed to kind of negative personal reaction, especially in recent years, uh, just based on stuff he said. But I mean, as an actor, he's awesome and has made up a, a lot of the, you know, personal film viewing diaries of a lot of people, myself included. So that's, that's always kind of a, kind of a bummer, but it's, yeah, I think it's, it's a good time to kind of reflect on all the stuff that he did. I was never much of a huge vintage bond fan. So my, fandom kind of extends toward the stuff that he did outside of that. Um, 
I, I think Time Bandits is probably a standout as as my favorite <laughs> Connery based like that. role. That's a good pick. Thanks. Yeah, because and I I think his last I'm trying to remember what his last film was that he was in, and I think it was League of Extraordinary uh, Sir Billy Gentlemen. Guardians of the whatever, the one where he's like an animated That's uh, a voice role. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last, that's the last action, one that live I action one well. was um League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think but. yeah, yeah. Yikes. But his swan song was Sir Billy. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I don't even think he did any more TV stuff like since a long, long time ago, which is kind of strange. I, I I was a little surprised we never really saw him do stuff like that. But anyway, regardless, uh, yeah, Will, I mean, I know you were also dealing, uh, hearing the news. What was your reaction? I, we haven't really talked about this yet. Yeah. Um, I haven't really had a lot of time to like sit with it just because it was on Halloween and everything going on. But um, I know for me and my dad that um, James Bond is like one of our connecting movie relationships in that like we go see all the Bond films together. That's like one of the few things we can kind of just connect with on a movie level because he doesn't really watch a lot of films like I do. He just kind of he's more of a music guy. So um, we haven't had too many things where we can really connect movie wise. And that's always been one for us. And he always sees James Bond as being Sean Connery. So in a sense, it's just like. You know, it, it does feel like Bond has passed, even though the character itself obviously lives on and goes on forward. And who knows, it'll probably go for decades on end at this point. But it does kind of feel like an end of an era for that reason, obviously. But I mean, he is more than the Bond franchise for obvious reasons. Um, I think the ones that stick out to me are like uh, the, the third Indiana Jones movie. I've always been a big fan of those films. And I yeah. think he was a big reason why that third movie worked. Uh, almost kind of against the odds uh, just because he had such great chemistry with um, Harrison Ford, who's another kind of a, uh, iconic movie star in his own right. And, and it's kind of similar fashion. But um, yeah, I mean, there's like Hunt for Red October, uh, his cameo and like uh, the Robin Hood, movie, of Thieves. The Rock, uh, but the bunch of things. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I, it's a basic answer. But to me, he'll always be James Bond. I think it's just how I see him outside of uh I don't know, maybe like something like entrapment. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is he lived a long life. He he was 90. So it, there is a sense of like, you know, it isn't like tragic in the sense that like he didn't live up to his potential. I think I think he lived like a pretty spectacular life and I think he made the most of it in every respect. Um, but it is a shame. Like I said, it, it does feel like an era has passed in that the bond that we knew is no longer around and that that does weigh heavily for a lot of obvious reasons. But like I said, he lived such a long and lasting life and he will have a long and lasting career that it does. There is some sense of contentment in that. I feel. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more for me. The, the first three bond movies are really like the definitive ones for me, I think because they were some of the first ones I saw. I mean, the first Bond movie I saw was Pierce Brosnan. And I think a lot of people in our generation really connect with his films in the 90s and the way that character came about through him. But it is that situation where you watch the modern James Bond movies of that time and then you're like, well, what else is there? And a lot of people either go straight to Roger Moore or they go to Sean Connery. I mean, I guess some people might go to Timothy Dalton and <laughs> power to you on that. Uh, those are that's thank you. Uh, I, I go to Timothy Dalton. Yeah, I I was late on Timothy Dalton, so he didn't get to influence me as much on that. I think my personal favorite Bond is actually Roger Moore, but um, oh no, that's a mood. Um, that but my favorite mood. Bond movie <laughs> is Goldfinger. I think without question, that is the best Bond film. Uh, I don't think it's the best Bond film, but I do, I would say it's the best Sean Connery. 
Bond film, which is saying a ton because I I really like Doctor No. I know some people kind of look at that as a bit of a jokey film, but I love everything about how that sets up the franchise. But yeah, and then Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I think was the only one. I, I don't remember if you said that exactly, but yeah, his his cameo in that is just unforgettable to me. Uh, also, The Untouchables, really want to mention that. Yeah, one I was going to well. mention, yeah, I think that's a big one that we... John, have we talked about Highlander yet? Because we need to. No, have we, we mentioned that? Highlander. He's great in Highlander. Zardos. Highlander's a bizarre yeah. movie, and so is Zardoz, but he's great in both. So that's those yeah. would probably be my runners-up, I think, in terms of just favorite... Maybe not like favorite movies of all time necessarily, but favorite Connery performances, just because I think both are weirdly game, kind of over the top. I'm sure there was some alcohol involved, but like the end result is just so entertaining that I'm not going to I'm not going to turn those. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot about Highlander, too, when we were talking about Old Guard and, you know, and hey, there's another really great Clancy Brown performance as well. It is indeed. Yes. All right. Well. We'll be thinking about Sean Connery's films a lot over the next week, and we want you listeners to chime in as well. Uh, if you want to leave a voicemail for Cinemaholics, all you have to do is go on the Swell app and leave us a voicemail on there. Uh, again, yeah, just any thoughts on his passing, what you think about his legacy, and some films maybe you want to recommend to listeners of the show. We definitely want to hear it. But all right. Let's get into our first review of the week. And this one, this one kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think any of us were expecting to talk about this one front and center. We, of course, were looking at maybe the craft legacy, which we will be discussing as well. And uh, I think there's like three Netflix films we'll be getting into this week. And this is definitely one of them, but yeah, right on time for Halloween, people were able to stream this one. Let's talk about his house. Congratulations. You're being released as asylum seekers, not as citizens, not yet. You will be sent to a home of our choosing. You must not move from this address. We are good people. Whether or not you're good people, it's not me that needs convincing. It's a palace. This entire house is just for us. It's gonna be nice, you're gonna be happy. As long as you can get along, fit in, so this is a new horror thriller. It's the debut film directed by Remy Weeks, and it comes from a story by Felicity Evans and Toby Venables. This one is another Sundance film acquired by Netflix that's Sundance from this past year. And I actually, I have to be honest, this one totally, I, I never didn't even hear about it. I don't know anybody who saw it until this past week. It just sort of like dropped into my awareness. So I just somehow I totally missed it. But this new film, it stars Wanmi Musaku and Sope Dirisu and Matt Smith are the main actors here. And it's about a group of refugees or a refugee couple. And we start the film um, witnessing their escape from South Sudan, which is dealing with um, war and militias, literally gunning people down. We see them try to cross the Mediterranean and just like that, a bunch of the people they're with, including their daughter, are taken by the sea and tragically die. And then we cut later to them being granted asylum in Britain. We, we don't really know exactly where they are. It's sort of implied they're on like the outskirts of London. And they're given this really shabby house. And we, we sort of watch them try to assimilate to this new life, despite all of the haunting violence that they just had to endure. 
this is a very timely movie, obviously, because we're kind of in a situation right now where there is a lot of destruction. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of refugees and asylum seekers in the world today trying to go to these other countries like Britain, like America, that are willing to take them in. And it, it's a film that kind of reminds me that we are in a very peculiar time in the world where really the last, I'd say, 50 years, we've seen such a needed surge of this sort of thing. And I think as things like climate change, like ravaging coasts and forcing people from their homes, we're going to see more and more of this. And it kind of like is a horror to even realize like the implications, like the real life implications of how this is now permeating fiction to the degree it is. Because here we have what I think is a very, really relevant uh, genre fitting into this kind of story, kind of getting the idea that like assimilation is hell and that the migrant immigrant experience is a horror story unto itself. And that's kind of what happens here. We kind of see that there are literal ghosts that seem to have fallen this, followed this couple to this house and they have to figure out a way to adapt. And yeah, I'll just start off by saying this film is terrific. I, I thought that it was so dense in what it's trying to say about this experience. And I there were so many moments in this film where it seemed like the worst thing that could be happening to this couple is happening in the most unexpected ways. And I think that is what makes her a great horror film. A very unconventional one too. And I think this is just a terrific debut from Remy Weeks. I mean, this thing has verve, it has style, it has a really great story. I was floored by this, honestly. So I I hope that, you know, and I should say the screenplay um, Remy Weeks did as well. The story is from Felicity Evans and Toby Venables. So I want to make sure I'm clear about that. And I want to talk about a lot in this movie, specifically one Mimasaka, which I think we'll get to. But yeah, Aviel Chessie, what did, what did you think of his house? I really liked it. Um, I always appreciate in horror when uh, a film comes along from somebody like usually making their debut where the vision is so distinct and so clear and really kind of gives us a perspective that we haven't seen before. And I feel like this movie does so in a way that feels really timely and feels really personal. Um, so to kind of give a little bit more detail, uh, the couple, uh, Wemi Misaku and uh, Sope Dirisu, who uh, moved when they, when they come to England, they are given a house and it's, it's a, by, I mean, by size standards, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Their, their caseworker, Matt Smith tells them that this house is bigger than his house. Um, and typically there would be more than one, uh, refugee family living in a house like this, but they get it all to themselves. Um, but shortly after they move in, uh, things start to happen and, uh, it, it turns into like, it, it turns into a pretty hellish haunted house situation. Um, and I think the haunted house elements of of this story are are really handled in a way that feels very like it it feels almost like what you might expect for the genre. But we know that the ghosts that they are tied to are extremely personal to the couple. And it kind of the the movie sort of slowly reveals the reality of their experience in in getting to England through that in a way that I think is really fascinating and really digs into kind of the the ghosts of trauma that that linger and hang around. Um, so yeah, I was, I was just thoroughly impressed throughout and you're, you're right, John, that there's a lot of visual style as well. That is extremely impressive. The editing on this is really good. Um, there are a couple of, of, uh, smash cuts that I think are just really effective in the way that they use, uh, color and the way that they switch tone so abruptly. Um, yeah, it's, I, 
I had seen the trailer for this, I think about a month and change ago and uh, thought that it looked really promising and then promptly forgot about it until reviews started popping up for it this weekend with absolutely no fanfare at all. Like, I'm not really sure what the marketing plan was on this. They Netflix dropped the ball, but uh, I really hope that this gets a lot of kind of word of mouth love, which I think it's starting to from the critical community because it, it needs it needs eyeballs. Yeah, last I checked, it wasn't in Netflix's top 10, which is really sad to see. And that's because, yeah, I think uh, we can is. all agree. Is it now? It wasn't it was, when it, uh, yesterday uh, as today. of yesterday. Yesterday it was there like, was yeah. a point where I checked it and it was not on the top 10. Um, um, but I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's changed. I mean, when I checked it yesterday, I think it was seven. Today it's at five. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like it's been climbing, which is really great to hear. Yeah. I, you know, definitely want to hear what you have to say, Will. But yeah, I'll just say, you know, <laughs> I didn't even see a trailer for this, just kind of went into it blind. But yeah, the the strong reviews definitely pushed us to be like, all right, we got to add this to the list. Let's check it out. But yeah, now that you've seen it, Will, what was your take? Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually didn't know about it until Abby mentioned it mentioned it in their chat. And uh, I hadn't, similar to you, I hadn't heard anything about it from Sundance or seen anyone review it at that time. So I was definitely pleasantly surprised as you were. Uh, alluding to, um, I think back to a quote that Roger Ebert would always used to say, which is that films are empathy machines and that they are a way through which we can kind of understand and process and, and learn to obviously empathize with people and experiences that we may know or may not know. And in this case, yeah, I mean, it's like I, I have never, <laughs> um, I'm not a refugee in Britain, but y- you feel through this film, um, that experience in a way that is very, like you said, stylistically intriguing and obviously very inspired from a thematic level but it does just i mean on the basics of its story it just tells something that's very universal and and very human and honest which is just the idea of just like trying to find your home and just trying to find some sense of social acceptance and it it does so in a way that obviously is very genre infused but at its core it just really works through the central performances as well as obviously the strong direction and writing but um, our two lead actors, just the uh, dramatic prowess that they have and in a way that it feels very urgent and very meaningful, but also just has a grounded sensibility that that makes it feel real and sincere, I think really is the uh, catalyst for which this film is able to be as effective as it is and the reason why we're so quick to champion it. I'm really glad to hear. Yeah, we're all we're all fans of this. You know, I I, I had a, definitely a personal experience with this and I had that same thought, Will, where this really, yeah, it feels like the Roger Ebert quote, empathy machine. And yet it also is pretty universal because I think in like my own family's experience, obviously like my parents didn't move to the States as refugees. They moved as technical U.S. citizens because Puerto Rico is a territory, but they still went through a an experience of like having to assimilate, right? They didn't flee any violence, which is really fortunate, but they did experience, I think, some of those like really traumatic pains of having to move to a country where you don't know the language, they didn't know English. And, you know, there were specific stories, like my mother has told me about their first few years living in the States, like the mainland States, and dealing with just really like um, sometimes overt racism. A lot of it was very subtle racism and prejudice attitudes from people who really didn't want them to, you know, adapt or, you know, succeed in this situation that they were in, especially like, you know, having multiple kids. And, you know, uh, I I think like specifically, my mother told me the story about how there was just like a different attitude she and my dad would have with simple things like walking home 
after going to a certain place. And this film like brilliantly gets that like paranoia across uh, because we see like this like mirror of how like the husband goes out and has like a positive experience and, and how he's trying to assimilate and then walking home is like, you know, it's not nearly as horrifying as it is for the woman who doesn't want to let go of her culture quite as easily, who doesn't want to let go of her language, her any of that sort of thing, or the ghost of like what they're dealing with. She doesn't want to just pretend it never happened. And yeah, I just I think I don't think we can say enough that this is one of those great cases where a filmmaker is using the horror genre in a film to convey just really difficult, uncomfortable, and political human truths about this experience in a way that I think a lot of people need to see. Like, I think if you're able to watch this film, you can connect and understand the plight of a lot of human beings around this world who are going through this sort of thing. And and it's great because, like, you know how in a lot of haunted films where we're like, okay, you moved to this haunted, this haunted family. There's like an annoying kid who like spies on everything. And like the parents are oblivious to all the horror and you're yelling at the screen. You're like, what, what are you doing? Patrick Wilson? Like, get out of that house. It's haunted. Let's go. Like, what are you doing? But this is a film where part of the horror is that they can't leave. And if they leave, they're going to be put in a situation that could be infinitely worse. So it's like feel that trapped feeling is what makes this so unique, right? Yeah. It's very clever, but also, like you said, it's very honest as well. Yeah, it's like using the reality of this situation to be original, to be creative with the premise. And I, I guess I shouldn't say too original because I'm sure there are other films that have dived into this. But yeah, with this budget and with this specific vision, like you were saying, Abby, I think it really succeeds. So yeah, uh, Abby, is there anything else you would want to add? And then, of course, your final grade on this film. And yeah, I think that we could talk a lot about this one. Oh, for sure. There, Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Um, and there's been some some really good writing about it and other places. Uh, the the review that that kind of caught my attention and made me wanted to bring it to you all was uh, Odie Henderson at uh, Roger Ebert had a lot of really good stuff to say about it. Um, I think uh, it's probably a good idea to talk about uh, Wanmi Musaku, who plays uh, the wife in yes. the film Real, um, because her, yeah, and well, her performance is really good. And also Wanmi Musaku has had kind of a hell of a year uh, between this and also she is one of the, the um, major characters in Lovecraft Country. Um, yeah. so she's, yeah, I, I think she's really shown a lot of strength and uh, a lot of range in the performances that she's had this year. And she's turned out to be a, a pretty amazing horror actress. She feels very, very grounded and very thoughtful, um, in, in both of the performances that I've seen here. I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, good, I don't know, like maternal emotion, I think is, is maybe the. The right way to say it. It's not uh, it's the the relationship in the film is a little more um, it's a little more complex than it at first seems to be. And I think uh, she as an actress is really good at portraying that that sort of sense of of loss and complexity and loss of community and um, loyalty to community and trying to figure out what that means in a new space. Um, I think uh, Sope Durisu is really good at, as well at at conveying sort of the horror that he's going through. Um, but it, I think her experience is is just as traumatic. And the more that we learn about the facets of of what that experience has been for her, I think the stronger that performance seems. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I, I want to echo, yeah, Wunmi Masaku, who. I think the first time I think I saw her in anything was probably or like really noticed her in a role was probably the end of the effing world, which uh, she was in the first season of that Netflix show. 
uh, a film, uh, a show. Sometimes I call it a film recklessly, but uh, definitely a show that I'm waiting for you will to see because I, you know, one of these days it's going to happen, and uh, I'm really excited to to find out when that day will come. But yeah, she's she's terrific in that. But she, I, I guess like if you look at her filmography, you look at her TV history, she does have like more minor roles. Like she has like a kind of a small part in like Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. You might have seen her like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. But what's exciting about this year, like you're alluding to, Abby, is that, yeah, her role in like Lovecraft Country has like seriously floored me. Like she is so true. She gets a whole episode in that show where I think she just outclasses a lot of the other actors there. And we're talking about terrific actors. And uh, it's she kind of is just like dropping like a thunderbolt, I think, on the scene as an actor, as somebody who is capable of a range that is really hard to, you know, really fathom. And she's I think she's a British actress who we're just going to continue seeing. Uh, just like rise and rise in her profile, despite having a pretty long career so far. She's been acting for well over a decade. So, and yeah, I think the next thing we can expect to see her in is Loki. She has a role in that show on, that's going to be hitting Disney Plus, and I'm I can't wait. I think she's going to probably be for me at least one of the selling points. But uh, yeah, for my grade on this one, uh, I'm an easy A minus, pretty high A minus as well. This is one of my favorite films of the year. One of my favorite dual performances between her and Sophie Dorisu and even even just a really questionable Matt Smith in this I think he he has some some fun to do here uh, in how he sort of conveys a lot of the the soft bigotry I think of this the experience they're dealing with I don't know if you all had a thought on that yeah I, I love a shady Matt Smith um yeah yes, that's I, way to I, put it. <laughs> there you go yeah shifty shifty Matt Smith when he can do like kind of the you know sort of soft cockney I don't know if I can trust you it's I'm, I'm here for it. Um, and I also realized that I forgot to give my final grade on this. Yeah, I would I would give it, I think, a, an, an A as well, um, just because it's it feels like such a clear and well thought out vision. And uh, there's a lot of it's it's a very high, high quality film in terms of how it's made and in terms of the stuff that it's communicating. And uh, yeah, I just think across the board, it's really strong. Yeah, really lean too. Just ninety three minutes. Forgot to mention. So, well, this is the recipe for you know at least a B plus from you. So, where are we at? Uh, you are correct. Yeah, I was going to give it a B plus. Um, All right, I called it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much more there to add. Um, I think you two have both said it very well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what this filmmaker does next. Uh, I hope it's something as emotionally powered and. Uh, timely and uh impactful as this one but yeah i mean the only thing i was gonna add is that you did mention that it is a little i guess uh odd that they didn't um that they released it so late into the season but it is i guess uh unexpectedly timely that they released it so close to the election uh just uh, at least for american audiences i don't know if this has been released elsewhere but um yeah i mean i'm, I'm very curious to see this one uh, grow its audience and hopefully find legs like we said it seems to be finding an audience on netflix which is uh maybe giving it a bigger audience than it would have otherwise. So uh, yeah, hope for the best with this one. Hey, you look, you know, any, any film, cause I, obviously this doesn't take place in America, but of course you can extract a lot of like immigration empathy out of this movie and any film that can sort of like move the needle a little bit on that and get people to care about human rights, you know, outside of like a nationalistic, like only our people matter kind of thing. That, that definitely means a lot to me and hopefully some of you listening. So His House is now available to stream on Netflix, although you wouldn't know if you, unless uh, you're, you're keeping your ear to the ground on the latest film news and all that stuff. So hopefully a lot of you are going to be checking this one out uh, in a belated fashion if you haven't already for this is a great Thanksgiving movie. I'll just say that. I, I would have Thanksgiving 
in that house, right? You know, just as, yeah, maybe not. Oh, absolutely. Let's move into the uh, next film. Uh, maybe another creepy one. I'm not sure. I didn't have a chance to see this. Uh, I chose to skip it, and it's The Craft Legacy. Now, I skipped this because it is meant to be a sort of soft reboot slash sequel to the 1996 film, The Craft, which is kind of, I think it, it is categorized as a uh, cult film. It's something that I've just never been into. And based on some of the reviews I was seeing, I did not see a reason to invest the time to see the first film and then this one. So I, I skipped it. But Abby and Will, you did watch this. This is another Blumhouse Productions film. It is now available to stream on VOD through Sony, if I'm not mistaken. And we got another kind of short film, just 90 minutes and, you know, some actors that I appreciate for sure. But, well, I guess uh, Will Ashen, walk us through. Uh, let's hear what you have to say about the craft legacy. What is this one about and how does it relate to the sequel? There might be some listeners who, who aren't really aware of this franchise. It's very possible. So what, what could they expect out of this? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll stress going into this that it's, I guess, more of a reboot than a sequel. I mean, if you're going into this expecting a like direct continuation of the original film, you might be a little disappointed, although it is connected for ways I don't want to really specify. Um, but I will say be careful Googling <laughs> this movie because um, I found out something that I didn't want to know uh, going in. So I guess keep that in mind. But uh, yeah, this is the, I believe, second film from Zoe Lister Jones. And uh, her prior film is one I really enjoyed called Band-Aid. Uh, which was not a horror film. That was a like kind of a traditional, more Sundancey, uh, like comedy drama, dramedy that uh, I quite enjoyed. So I, I was surprised that she okay. moved into um, this film as her follow up. But it is a good chance for her to jump into a studio film, even though it it got its theatrical release pulled. But in any case, um, well, I'll I'll say real quick if it's all right. Um, some people might really know her also from uh, New Girl. Uh, I think her work on that is pretty. Uh, well known, and then also Life in Pieces. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's uh, people. Uh, yeah, she's the main character in that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like as an actress, that's her most well known role. But yeah, she's been moving into um, filmmaking uh, throughout the past few years, and this is easily her most high profile film. But uh, similar to the original 1996 film, we're following a young teenager uh, moving into a new town. She's with uh, her mom, and she uh, is trying to meet up and uh, get connected with who may soon be her new stepdad played by David Duchovny. And uh, as she is trying to adjust into the school, it's a regular private uh, public school this time, not a uh, Catholic school, like in the first movie, she grows acquainted with three young girls who uh, are like a trio of uh, witches are trying to be witches, but they need the fourth person to uh, really, uh, fill out the uh, coven and basically uh, make their powers come to be. But um, once she gets connected with these three girls, she uh, realizes that one kid in school is a uh, just a just a jerk, really in traditional kind of jock sense. Like he just uh, doesn't treat women right. He just isn't a good dude. So they use their newfound coven powers to basically make him woke in a way that um, I think that's kind of like your make or break for the movie is that if you are here to see a um, film where uh, a bunch of teenage witches uh, use their powers to make a teen jock boy woke, um, you know, if, if that makes you laugh, then you're all for this film. If that kind of makes you groan, uh, I guess you're not going to be really a fan of this one. And for me, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. Like I was pretty with it for the first half. Um, I was digging the uh, new take on it, the modernization of it, even though it, it tends to 
kind of play with its timeline a bit. Like I didn't even realize it was supposed to be modern day until like halfway through because they have like kind of old fashioned clothing. They don't really like play with cell phones a lot and stuff. And they also like use a bunch of kind of older tech, I guess, as a way to pay homage to the original film. But um, in any case, uh, yeah, the, the film itself, it, it, it is very reminiscent of uh, Zoe Lester Jones's writing style from her past film in that it's very like jokey, a lot of puns, uh, just kind of like building this core friendship and uh, just watching these kind of girls find themselves and flourish as a group. I think those moments really work. I think when it gets to the second half where it kind of plays into more of the actual horror stuff, I think that's where it ultimately falls short for me, at least. I, I find that the plot itself kind of got a little silly and it, it didn't really connect with me as it went along. But um, I am I, I did appreciate what Zoe Lister-Jones brought to this. I, I do think it's better than, say, last year's Black Christmas remake, which I think is going to be the most uh, the film that I think people are going to compare this one to the most. And I think that one ultimately just got the short shift by like a rush production and uh, a screenplay that got, felt like a Twitter rant in in film form. This is actually pretty well, well fleshed out, but unfortunately, I just don't think it fully connected with me uh, in a way that it did with the original film, which I got a chance to watch uh, during my horror marathon. I, I found it to be quite charming. Like, I think that movie works as a way and it's trying to just be like corny, but it, it does have a charm to it that uh, is very endearing and uh, engaging. And this one, I, I think it's trying to go for something similar, but just didn't quite do it for me, unfortunately. Before you go, Abby, uh, I have to say it just dawned on me while you're talking about that, Will, that I think every single movie we're talking about this week has a child character who has to deal with like a new parental figure against their will. So there is that. Um, it's a little bit more of a stretch with Holiday for sure. But yes, from his house to the craft to over the moon, that is absolutely <laughs> a common thread these films have inexplicably. So um, so that's fun. Um, but all right, Abby Olchesi, what do you think of the craft legacy? Yeah, I think I'm a little more positive on this than than Will is, but um, I, I agree. It's not a perfect film, but there was a lot about it that I really, really liked. Um, I watched the original craft for the first time about a year ago. And it, I, I think it's fair to say that there's, I mean, there's a lot that's interesting about that movie. And I feel like the, the cast and the aesthetic of it really hit on something that became kind of a big deal in the nineties, which is why it's had so much staying power as well as kind of the outsider kind of riot girl, uh, feeling and message to it. I think that's kind of what stuck with a lot of people. Um, but there are some parts of that original movie that are really kind of um, I don't know, conflicting, a little bit weird. It's not, um, I feel like witchcraft in that movie and in this movie is kind of a metaphor for, for female strength and power. And the way that it goes in the original film makes it abundantly clear that it was written and directed by white men, uh, the way that it happens, just because it kind of ends up being a cautionary tale about getting greedy with power. Um, but what I liked about the craft legacy is that it, it recognizes the stuff about the original film that uh that a lot of audiences connected with when it first came out um especially a lot of uh female and queer viewers of which there are pretty big fandoms for that for that movie um and recognized that there were ways in which it could be improved and and did that i think um so zoe lister jones makes a lot of space in this new movie for a diverse array of uh backgrounds and perspectives to exist um 
So in addition to uh, like the original craft had uh, three white girls and one black girl in their their main kind of coven. And this one includes um, a couple of white girls, a black girl, and also a uh, Latinx trans girl, which is, I think, a, a nice little amp up for uh, for representation that wasn't really in the original one. Um, and it makes them, I think, slightly more fully fleshed out characters. You get a better sense of the relationship between the three girls, the three um, existing witches before their fourth shows up. Uh, and you get a sense of what she adds to the group. It really does feel like uh, feel like a friendship. Um, and it doesn't kind of devolve into rivalry. It ends up being kind of a, a celebration of, of, their, of their relationship and of their ability to be stronger together that I also really appreciated. Um, I also like the wokeifying of uh, Timmy, the the jock character, because I think it turns him into a much more complex character. Um, I mean, it, it seems a little bit weird and performative at the start, but the more that you find out about his kind of complex issues that might have led him to being a bully in the first place, the more interesting that becomes and the more delightful of a character he becomes when you realize that he's free of sort of the the judgmental burden that he had been carrying. Um, there are some parts of the movie that I don't think are quite as fleshed out as they could be. Um, like this is a really short movie. It's, it's about 90 minutes, if that. And I think it really skimps on backstory, especially when it comes to um, the, uh, the main characters, uh, Lily's um, stepfather, uh, who's played by David Duchovny and basically sleepwalks his way through the role because he really doesn't have much to do. Um, that character provides a really interesting foil in the background that he has and the perspective that he's coming from. And it almost feels like he's kind of set up as a straw man uh, by the end where there's, I think, a lot more opportunity for for genuine conflict. Um, I think it's also worth noting that the, the cast that uh, Zoe Lister-Jones got for this, I think, is made up of a lot of talented young actresses who I think are kind of on the verge of going big places. So uh, Lily is played by Kaylee Spaney, who you might recognize from Bad Times at the El Royale, uh, as well as I think a couple of other films, which I can't quite think of at the moment. But I, I remember being really impressed with her in Bad Times, and I think she builds on that quite well here. Um, also Gideon Adlin, who was uh, part of Blockers, one of the more charming, yeah. surprising elements of Blockers. I liked her a lot in that, and she's good in this too. And uh, Lovey Simone, who was the main character in Sella and the Spades, which came out earlier this year on Amazon, and I, I think was one of the strongest elements of that movie, too. Um, and did you mention Zoe Luna? That's I was about to get to Zoe Luna. Yeah, I was trying to remember all of the names of all of the different characters. And yeah, Zoe Luna is great, too. This was my first time seeing her in things, although I know she's also in pose. Um, but I was, yeah, just really impressed by the chemistry that these girls had together and the strength of their performances. They all seemed like really distinct characters. Uh, it seems like they've been kind of given space to sort of develop their own feeling and aesthetic, and it really works well together, I think. Um, so yeah, I think there, there are parts of this that I think could be stronger, but um, given that it is like the original craft was targeted pretty squarely at, at a teenager audience, of I think mainly women and LGBTQ individuals. Um, I, I think it, it works pretty well for what it is. It's entertaining in that aspect. I think it gives more diverse characters space to exist in, um, in a movie that they may have identified with before, but didn't see themselves in. Now they actually can. And so I, 
I, I like I like it's it's cute, woke, inclusive little heart. It doesn't always work, but I, I feel like there's a lot of really good intention there that I, I couldn't ignore. I would say if what both of you are saying is right about, yeah, the sort of, I guess, I hate to keep saying the term wokeness, but yeah, if if anybody wants a film that really gets into like that female friendship that really like is more, I think, uh, better talking about this sort of thing, Assassination Nation by far is like, that's the film to watch, especially if you want like a real like gritty kind of thriller film. But yeah, it sounds like this film cast a spell that didn't work equally on both of you. So Will, with all that said, how would you, how would you grade this one and any final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I'm not too far, I guess, from where Abby is. I I do recognize, like, I think the cast is good. I do think Zoe Lister Jones is good at um, directing her cast. And I think, you know, everyone seems to be having fun with their parts um, I just think the writing just doesn't really service them well. I, I think they work well as a coven, like as a group. I just don't really think, unlike the original film, I don't really get to know them individually. Like I don't really get a sense of who they are as people outside of who they are in this collective. And I think that's I, that's one of the biggest shortcomings of the film is that like I think the strongest character <laughs> in this uh, film about uh, female empowerment happens to be the uh, the guy who gets transformed in the film like i think he's the most interesting character by default because he gets a little bit more of a an arc i guess than everyone else but um as far as the film itself i think it's fine like i don't i don't come into this with particularly strong negative feelings i i I don't think it ultimately works in my opinion but i can recognize what's doing and i I do think if you are a fan of the original you you might get something out of this one I, i it seems like fans of the original are kind of divided from what i've seen uh, for reasons I can kind of understand ultimately, because I, I do think the aspects of the film that they take notes from and that they recognize from its success and they bring into this film uh, are still are similarly charming and appealing. But I just don't think as a narrative, it works quite as well as the original film, which isn't perfect either. But I just think there's a lot more going on there as far as its charm and appeal that I think carries it through. This one, I just had kind of more of like a like CW pilot feel to me that uh, ultimately just didn't really do it for me, unfortunately. But I think it's like a strong C, like I, it's an admirable C, I guess, like I, like uh, Abby was saying, I think its intentions mean well. And uh, I, I do think it works better than Black Christmas did uh, like a year or so ago. But ultimately, I, I still found myself a bit disappointed in the long run. All right. And what about you, Abby? Um, I think I would give this... Uh... I think I would give this a pretty solid B, maybe a high B, um, mostly because I, yeah, I was really charmed by the uh, the dynamic of uh, of the central set of characters. Um, I I agree that the script I think could be more detailed in spaces. It really feels like it's unnecessarily short. I think given a little bit of room to breathe, we might have been able to see some more interesting stuff about each of these characters. But um, it's a fun world to spend time in. I think for the audience that it's aiming at it's i think it's it's enough to do what it needs to do um and and what it does in terms of perspective and inclusivity is i think pretty pretty special and pretty intentional and thoughtful so i i appreciated all of those elements enough to kind of overlook the stuff that didn't quite work and there is some stuff that doesn't quite work all right well the craft legacy is now streaming on vod uh, you can check it out that way and yeah, it's received mixed reviews from critics, which isn't too much of a surprise hearing you talk about the film. Uh, it sounds like, yeah, it's, it could be a little hit or miss, but I'm glad to hear that there are some magical elements to be had. Okay, I'm the only one who watched this next film, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. I watched Holiday, yet another 
Netflix film. This is a new romantic comedy. And, you know, some people say, yeah, it's a Christmas movie, isn't it? Uh, yeah, sure. You could, you could say, you could be that limited. You could say, yes, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just another Christmas film, right? No, because it's so much more. We're talking St. Patrick's Day as well. Halloween fitting. Even Thanksgiving, Labor Day, Cinco de Mayo, Mother's Day. That's right. This film covers all the major holidays and then some. And that's because it is about something that I, I can't say I can relate with too much. I've never had a holiday. Uh, the premise of this film is that we have these two single people who are extremely attractive, right? And, you know, but, you know, right now they're not in the mood for relationships. It's not because people don't like them. They know they're attractive. They know it. They're like, look at them. It's Emma Roberts and it's Luke Bracey who you take one look at him and you're like, oh yeah, they're going to fall in love. But this movie sort of posits that like right now in this moment in time, they just want to be single. That's all. But I think we can relate with the idea of like being single at a time in your life for whatever reason and not wanting to just date somebody for the sake of it. So what you want to do is you just want to holiday. You want a one time sort of thing where you bring somebody to like a holiday party or just so you have somebody to be with, right? It's like bringing in a friend, but also having that sort of like a lure of like, yeah, it's my friend, but you know, it's, it's more than just a friend, but not really. It's just a way to get through the holidays because some of us, I think right now, we just want to get through the holidays right now for, for lots of different reasons. And so that's the situation we find ourselves in with holidays and the, the film, you know, early on sort of like the first line of the film is like, all right, you thought you were in this for just another cheesy, lame, corny, PG-rated thing. That's not the case. Instead, you are in for a cheesy, corny, R-rated kind of thing because literally an F-bomb is dropped in the first line. And that's when I had a feeling. I was like, okay, if you're going to do this sort of like Hallmark, like sort of like Netflix rom-com thing, I do want to see more of this where they actually like make it for edgier adults, right? Because it does sort of like lend this really predictable formula with like at least a little bit of flavor. And it's it's not just F-bombs. It's also really funny and dark jokes about subject matter that's like you would never see in like, for example, to all the boys I love before or any of the Hallmark Christmas movies or anything like that, you know, or even some of the Netflix ones like the the night before Christmas or falling in love or any of that stuff. This one is, I don't know, this one has a charm in how it takes that sort of like cozy format, very predictable story, and it finds other ways to sort of like sink its teeth in you. And it really is through the humor. It's quick to make you laugh. I laughed pretty regularly during this movie, not a laugh riot or anything, but, and there are moments where it has like flashes of its weird schmaltz. But despite all of its sort of like, lame setup. I just think this film, if I was going to make a movie that was kind of like in this genre, I would hope I would make it as good as this. Cause I don't think I could do, I don't think a lot of directors could do any better, you know, cause, cause it's, it's a film with, it's a genre I should say without that. It doesn't have pretense. Like people don't go into these movies expecting like really strong things anymore. Like we don't really get films like, uh, for example, um, Love Actually, like we used to. And even that film, a lot of people will say, like, it's not that great of a film or anything. It's just something that really clicked with pop culture at the time and still does. But that said, I think this is just one of those rare Netflix films where it takes the rom-com formula 
and it does enough with it that people who are game are going to be heavily rewarded. And for example, I'll give you an example. My favorite one again. We get to the point where Emma Roberts' character and Luke Bracey's character, they've been on a few holidays at this point. And you can see it. Like you can see the chemistry is just growing and growing. And it, it's sort of, you know, it reminds me a lot of like a plus one, which a uh, much better film than this. But uh, just because I think in that film, there's a, a deeper story to be had. But uh, it is the same format as that sort of like no strings attached idea where they, in that in that movie's case, they're going to weddings together and they, they just want a plus one, a little bit more relatable, believable premise. Um, and also plus one is better because my Erskine. But in terms of holiday, it, it is like early on and there's Easter. And one of my favorite points in this whole thing is you just see like a hundred kids descending a hill to the song Move Bitch. And it's like, like I, that's what I mean by like, if you're going to do this, at least like make a smile at least, you know, and I get some people are going to watch this and they're gonna be like, I don't want to smile at this movie. Are you kidding me? I want to watch his house again. And I get it. And I've been, I, I tried to use legal means to get Abby and Will to watch this movie. They weren't biting. Um, I don't think there was any interest from either of you and that's okay. I, I was the one who watched holiday kind of expecting it to be terrible. And I ended up really, really enjoying this. This is, this is one of my more recent fun surprises and also, uh, some of the actors in here I didn't mention. Um, Kristen Chenoweth kind of gets an outsized role in this. One of the weaker parts of the film, honestly, she's not that. Yeah, she's kind of funny. But uh, Manish Patel, uh, who some people might know him also as uh, Manish Dial, uh, he. So we we've seen him in some things like Hundred Foot Journey, and uh, I think he was in uh, the Nine Hundred Two One Zero, like kind of reboot series that they did on the CW. And he's really good in this and it, good in the sense where like, he's not a big part of the film, but whenever he's in it, you're just like, yeah, I want to see that guy in more stuff. Like where he's like the central figure, but yeah, that's it. You also get Francis Fisher in this film and uh, Jessica Capshaw. And uh, it, it's just, yeah, this is a really solid film. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm ready for all the hate mail from people. Cause I have a feeling some people will watch this maybe on my recommendation and be like, what the heck is John talking about? Why would he, you know, this was produced by Mick G. Are you serious? Um, also it was directed by John Whitesell, who I have to say, I, I can't say uh, <laughs> um, uh, somebody who's a real sell uh, these days. I think one of his last films was like big mama's house too, uh, which I know is a staple of the Will Ashton household, but I don't care. I really, I, I fell in love with holiday and I give it a B and my heart says B plus, but I, I temper it a little bit just knowing that some people are just not going to be on the same wavelength of this movie, but I am on the wavelength for this movie. hundred percent. I definitely like, Oh, one of the, Will can say like one of the things I was doing almost throughout this whole movie was just giving him like non sequitur, like out of context quotes from this movie, just sort of get across how like, ridiculous it is in certain places and uh, i don't know will did any did any of my guerrilla marketing uh sway you in the slightest it sounds like it doesn't did not at all not really but um you know <laughs> who knows it's 2020 I i'm spending more time in my house than i would otherwise which is not saying much but um you know there may come a time around christmas where i can't do anything and uh, i have to make do with what's on netflix and maybe holiday will be there and i'm like you know John the Grony said this was uh, not bad. Maybe I'll watch it. Or I could watch <laughs> Krampus, which I think you preferred much more. But uh, Oh, yeah. Krampus is awesome. Well, then you have to choose, I guess, at that point. I'd, I'd put the 
the decision on to you. But well, if you've uh, never seen Krampus, you got to prioritize Krampus. Okay. I mean, that's that's way more up the Will Ashton like level. So, so if I get in that situation, John's like, "Well, you got to watch Krampus. I'll watch Holiday instead." <laughs> there you go. So yeah, the reverse psychology worked again. Um, Abby, I have I have a feeling that uh, your opinion of me has gone down quite a bit after all of this. <laughs> and, uh, but do you see do you see any universe any holiday where you would uh, you would crank this one at the old VCR? Well, first of all, I don't appreciate being told that I'm being threatened with legal action in order to watch a movie, John. That's that's not a that's not a helpful Sorry, way to to sell me far. on something. Um, but you had a really a surprisingly positive review that I think I I might I might get into this. Like every once in a while, I just need something that is you know, fun and kind of inconsequential to uh, sit on the couch and watch at the end of a long day. And this feels like it could potentially fit the bill, especially as we kind of head into the holiday season. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not above watching a, the night K N I G H T before Christmas. So if this is better than that, this sounds like it might be an upgrade. So I'm, I'm into it. You know, once again, I could be total minor. I think I am minority opinion on this. That said, yeah, it has like a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not great. But honestly, I do think some of that is because people who would normally like a film like this. uh, I was joking about this with Will, too. It's like, imagine, you know, you're like a family sitting on the couch. You have like your young adopted son, David. And you're like, all right. Oh, this new thing on Netflix. This looks sweet and charming. It's about Christmas. And literally like the first line (laughs) is uh, a big old F-bomb. Um, not for the kids, uh, even though the marketing of this would kind of, so that's why I think some of the reviews might be a little like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the vulgar jokes aren't that necessary. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. Uh, for me, it was absolutely necessary to get something out of this film. I don't think I would have otherwise, I did find one other like critic, uh, more prominent than us for sure. Who did like this probably about as much as I did. And that would be, uh, Alonzo Duraldi, uh, of the breakfast all day and a bunch of other stuff that he does. Um, so if if you have if you're familiar with his reviews at all and you're familiar with mine and you can sort of see a path to a good experience with this film, that might be the case, but it could be a risky watch. But hey, that's what we're here for. Risky watches uh, that sometimes they can be really rewarding. But let's talk about one last film. Uh, this is the last one. Another Netflix. So, yeah, like three out of four Netflix films this week, such as uh, the, the reality of our pandemic lives at the moment. But over the moon, this is a new computer animated musical adventure fantasy comedy it's a lot of things uh it is directed by glenn Keane, uh who i think he also co-directed it with john cares but uh some of the crediting on that is a little shaky that said this is coming from a screenplay by audrey wells who co-wrote it with alice Wu and jennifer e mcdevitt and it has a pretty good uh, voice acting cast. Uh, the main character is voiced by uh, Kathy Ong, but also Philippa Sue of recent Hamilton fame, Ken Jong, John Cho, Ruthie Ann Miles, Margaret Cho, and Sandra Oh. Yeah, a lot of familiar voices you will hear in this. And some of you might recognize some of the animation and the style of this. And that is because this is, I think, the second film um, produced by Pearl Studio, which did Abominable last year, the DreamWorks film. Oh, that makes so, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you're about to get into it. So I do want to turn it to you in a moment. But yeah, real quick, I'll just say premise of this film, very basic. You have a young girl, uh, young, I think it takes place entirely, or not entirely, but like it opens in uh, somewhere in, I believe, China. And it's about a young girl who is struggling to deal with her father dating somebody 
And this potential new stepmother has a son of her own. And he's kind of this like annoying, like younger brother kind of type who loves to play ping pong. And she is obsessed with this uh, Chinese folklore tale about a goddess named Chang'e who lives on the moon and sort of in like a desperate attempt to try to uh, reconnect with the stories that her mother told her before she tragically passed away. Um, our young character, our main character, Fei-Fei, decides to create a paper lantern rocket, it's very fantastical, to take her to the moon where she discovers all of these fantastical like space fantasy stuff. And hitching along for the ride is Russell from Up. Oh, sorry. No, not Russell from Up. I'm so sorry. No, the, the younger brother, uh, Chin, who loves ping pong. But okay, uh, over the moon. What did you think of this one, Will Ashton? I mean, this is directed by Glenn Keane. He is a legendary Disney animator. I'm sure we'll probably get into some of his legacy as we talk about this film. Yeah, I mean, I won't uh, discredit his legacy, nor will I discredit um, Audrey Wells. This was her last film, unfortunately, and I didn't realize that until after the film ended. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I talked about this a little bit last week because I started watching it when we were discussing a bunch of other things. and I decided not to prioritize this film because to me, it just feels um, like a very generic version of other and ultimately better animated films that we've seen primarily from uh, Disney and Pixar. Though, uh, as I was telling you before, it feels like the first like I want to say 30 to 35 minutes of this film feels like someone is copying like Disney's homework and they're just like taking all the notes and like doing everything as they would do it. And then the teacher catches wise and they're like, hey, are you copying off Disney's homework? And it's like, no. And then they like start to do their thing. But then they turn the DreamWorks homework and they start copying that. So like the last hour or so, the film feels like someone trying to make a DreamWorks animated film uh, when they are actually in Spot space. On. That is 100 percent that. Yes. Which uh, is unfortunate because I do think while the first half hour is very derivative of other Disney and Pixar films, like I mentioned, it, it does have a simple kind of charm to it. There is obviously the perspective of it being a primarily Asian cast and Asian characters. And uh, that obviously is very um, rewarding in a sense that, like, you know, it is nice to see that in a major animated film, especially one that's doing so well on Netflix and, uh, you know, you want it to succeed primarily for that reason. But then the movie plays out in a very formulaic and uh, ultimately uh, just generic, like I said, and tedious fashion. But there is like little moments of charm throughout, like like when you see her like building a rocket ship and it has like this kind of like grand day out like Wallace and Gromit feel to it. Where it's like, OK, I can kind of get with this. Like, you know, like there's something about this that's kind of charming, like a little girl trying to uh, build a rocket ship to see her mom on the moon. That's like very sweet. That's a fun idea. And then when you get to the moon, it unfortunately just becomes yet another, um, you know, like another one of these films where it's like we have the Olaf character and we have like this pop music character that's in this very week. So we can have some more pop songs in the film. And we have these bubbly little gooey characters who are like the minions. And, uh, you know, it's just like that. And it's just like, uh, oh, boy. OK, fine. This is just another one of these films that's just going through the cookie cutter motions. It's just doing everything we expect at this point. And it's just like it's not it's not even bad at what it's doing. It's just that it feels like we've seen all these ingredients in other films and we've seen them done better or at least more memorably than we see them here. And it just becomes a, you know, just ho-hum experience where I was just like pre checked out with it by the second half and I was just not really getting into it. I, I admire it's like sincerity and sweetness. Like, I don't think they went into this just to make a like 
cheap cash grab, but it just can't help but feel like one of those like like a better version of like one of those a Salem like knockoff movies that's like Ratatouille when like grandma was trying to get <laughs> Ratatouille. Like it just feels like, oh, like this is like that up movie that they're talking about. Or it's like it's I don't know, it just like feels like all these other films that we've seen before from Disney or Pixar, like I said, and then just I don't know. It's it's just fine for what it is, but by the end I just could not really care less, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into it. But I think that it's not really the script here. Like, I think the script is kind of weak, just in the sense that it is trying. I think it is not unique, obviously, to be like, all right, you know, you kind of kick off the story with the death of a parent. And it's, it's been done so many times at this point that I think that it's really lost all meaning or like all storytelling potential. But we have seen Disney and Pixar and even DreamWorks handle this in a way that is fresh from time to time. I think Onward, had like a better way into this sort of thing just by taking that dynamic and adding a little bit more resonance, a little bit more of like, uh, what if you could spend like the day with like your dad, you know, like that kind of feeling. Whereas this one, I think it kind of loses the plot a little bit because I think the real heart of the the difficult relationship is between a, a girl and her potential new stepmother who was not really in this film much. She has very few lines and, I mean, if that's like the heart of the story you're trying to tell, I guess I just didn't really get like I, I didn't see like the emotional weight of like that story coming through. And I have to say, I think a lot of that is the direction, but um, kind of feels almost like an alien watching a like Disney or Pixar movie is just like, OK, all kids have dead parents, so they'll instantly understand like what this feels like. So like they don't even try to develop that. That's the thing. Yeah, you have to do it really well for it to work at this point. But all right, Abby. Uh, what do you think? Do you think we're being too harsh? Or are you kind of the same way? Are we not being harsh enough? Uh, are you over the moon for this one? I I am I am kind of barely in orbit, but not really. I'm not over the moon for this. Um, yeah, I I found that, that yeah, there's a lot that that kind of follows a pretty similar uh, cookie cutter method. There are some parts of it that I appreciate, like having the main character be like a girl who is interested in STEM, but like that isn't her entire personality. Ahem, ahem, Dumbo, ahem. Um, uh, wrinkle in so, time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that too. Um, but yeah, so I, I appreciate that that being a, a factor, but not a defining element. Um, and I appreciate the um, kind of cultural perspective, which is, I mean, the the setting and the characters, I think, are a little bit different than we're used to seeing in in movies of a similar theme. Um, so those are, those are nice elements. Um, I think that there are some, I know you mentioned, uh, Glenn Keane being a, a legendary animator and there are some elements of this, this movie that are gorgeous, uh, like some specific character renderings that I think look really pretty. Um, and a couple of shots that I think stand out, like you can, you can think of them as like what they would have looked like as concept art. And you would like to have that concept art on your wall. Like some of it's really pretty, Yeah. but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's mixed in with a lot of stuff that really doesn't work. I think the songs are, there's one or two that are decent and kind of rise above the rest, but a lot of them are, are pretty poor and kind of plot heavy in a way that I don't really like my songs to be in a kids musical movie um where they you know if you were to excise them from the movie completely and listen to them on their own they wouldn't make any sense um so that's that's kind of a weak point uh but yeah i i actually kind of liked the olaf character who in this case is a, a space dog called Gobi, played by uh ken jong and i i realized that abrasive characters 
who are kind of animated sidekicks can go one way or the other. I, I think he's a little less annoying than Olaf, but um, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I have a ton much else to add other than that. There are some things that make you wish this movie was better. There are some parts where I feel like the emotions of it, like for, for, you know, against my better judgment did kind of get to me and I did find them to be kind of affecting. Um, but yeah, they're outdone by a lot of stuff that really doesn't. Yeah, I have to say, I think Abominable is a much better film. I, I just think that it's more solid and it does have some of the same flaws where I think that DreamWorks film also was kind of falling into the trap of being pretty derivative, but it found like pathways to just resonating a little bit and, and having its own flavor. And, you know, some of the magic in that, for example, was really entertaining. And yeah, I, I think this one, yeah, just it's like two thirds pretty bad. And there is, it's frustrating because there's a third of this that is really strong. And uh, I think the music like you were alluding to Abby is really indicative or representative of that sort of thing. I could really tell that different people were doing the score and the songs and even the songs themselves, they're not terrible, but they just, they have no, like I, I just uniqueness is the word or like any sort of just like original vein. Like they just really feel like they're ripping off the really over the top, like soap operatic, like Disney music. And I get the, I get the feeling that because Glenn Keane was the director, he really wanted to like make this thing feel a lot like a lot of the Disney Renaissance films that he helped like really bring to magical life. I mean, we're talking, he is a legend for a reason, you know, and I'm not going to, say anything negative about Glenn Keane as an animator. There's no question. He just has an eye for making characters iconic. But I have to recognize that in his career, the times where he's been given authority over story, that's where things get a little bit messier. And I just, I think that his, his animation is, is terrific. But when it comes to like actually telling like a long story, because he's directed short films at this point, including the, the award-winning and the Oscar-winning uh, Dear uh, Basketball. But yeah, when it comes to these films that have like longer narrative threads, thinking of like Pocahontas and Tarzan, I just don't see that same like legendary status translating. And I think this is a case where I, th- I think the, sc- the script was probably in a decent place. It needed a director to really like make it come together and also somebody to really like help the music flow a little bit better here because uh so steven price did the score it's really good but then you had like three different people who were doing the songs and not a single one of them really hit me in a way where i wasn't thinking about like moana or frozen or anything like that so uh it's unfortunate i I think that i I think that in a in the hands of a stronger director somebody who really understands the way that like design the story can intertwine more gracefully this could have really taken a really interesting premise a chinese folklore that not a lot of people know so it's you know fresh story material and a really interesting story too i think that like the idea of like changai and like why she's on the moon all that stuff is interesting it's just yeah the way this movie tells that story uh, apart from the visuals is just not all that engaging so i'm a c plus on over the moon i wish i could be b minus like i want to but there's just too much in this that really disappointed me for me to get all the way up there. Um, not to, to, to moon the pun there, but what about you, Will Ashton? Uh, where do you land ultimately on over the moon? Your, your space landing. Yeah. I mean, I was talking about this with friend of the podcast, Corey Woodruff a little bit earlier this weekend. And that like, it feels like all the ingredients are here to make a decent or even good 
animated film. Like it just seems like all the things uh, like if you describe this on paper, it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's a, it's a little familiar, but like it seems like it could work. And if, it feels like the type of film too, where like if you shut off the sound and just watched it from a visual standpoint, you would probably be like, oh, wow, this is like a really well done animated movie. Like I could see Turn the sound on. I want to hear it now. Yeah, maybe they're doing some songs that we'll we'll, uh, we'll love too, but um, yeah, I ultimately found the the experience of it to be a letdown. Just then, that like you were saying before, it's just it just feels like we've seen this from a bunch of other Disney and Pixar movies where they do a lot better. I think they do with a little bit more intrigue or a little bit more thoughtfulness as far as their approach and recognizing how a lot of these things are fairly derivative at this point and find ways to do it with a little bit more accessibility and make it a little bit more creatively subversive. This film just seems to be following uh, the tropes in a lot of different ways that I think it undermines what I think works about the film or what I find interesting ultimately, which is a shame because I, I do think there's a lot to my here. I think the voice acting is generally pretty good. Uh, I wasn't crazy about Ken Jong's character in general, but I don't think he's like doing a bad job per se. But um, and I think the animation in general and the character design, as you would expect from Glenn King, is is pretty good. It's just that the movie itself just doesn't really stand out enough to make it worth the while. And because that was between a C and a C my or a C plus, um, and uh, I guess I'll just give it a high C just because, like I said, it's not it's just ultimately a fairly mediocre film, I feel like. But because it felt so tedious to watch this type of film for what felt like the upteenth time. I just didn't really have a lot of patience for it. And it just kind of felt like it was wasting my time after a point. So for that, I'll give it a high C. And real quick, I forgot to mention this. Um, This film was dedicated to Audrey Wells, who tragically passed away in 2018. And I hope I don't come across as callous in terms of the way it deals with, you know, the way a film would handle the subject matter, considering she made this film for, you know, or dedicated it herself before she passed away to her own family. So. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that before with, I mean, in addition to uh, recognizing Glenn's legacy. I mean, I, I don't think our opinion of the film is meant to besmirch what she's done with her life. Right, yeah, and I, I mean, just want to be super, yeah, right. if anything, I just sensitive yeah. to that. If anything, I just felt really bad that I didn't like it when I figured out it was right. her last film. It was just like, oh, not only am I disappointed, just the film in general, it's just like, it's the type of film I want to love. And it's like, now there's like a reason to feel crummy about it. But oh, well. And uh, Abby Olchesi, how how do you rate this film and any final thoughts? Yeah, um, I think you guys have encapsulated a lot of what my feeling was. I would give this probably a, a, a C, uh, maybe a high C. There are some elements of it that that do stand out that I do appreciate. But yeah, for the most part, there's a lot that we've seen before. And there's a lot that I think kind of feels like a, a a poorly considered approach to material that has definitely been done better by other people, um, which makes it kind of a frustrating watch. So yeah, high C from me. All right. Well, that'll do it for our reviews this week. Uh, A lot of interesting ones this week, and uh, hopefully we've helped you all prepare for the holiday season in some way if if you're interested in any of these films. Uh, Don't forget to leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts uh, if you're so inclined. It really helps us out. Uh, next week, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's kind of uh, all over the place, so we will deliberate. But as always, yeah, let us know in the comments too if there's anything specific you would like us to cover. I think normally, like next week, would be a week for like our fall preview, <laughs> but uh, I don't think we're going to be doing that this year. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, that said, uh, we will uh, definitely be um, 
excited to talk about Mank at some point because that's going to be coming out the week after on Netflix. And well, no, uh, it's, hopefully uh, December fourth is when it comes to Netflix. Oh, but it's oh maybe it's coming out on a limited release. I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, it'll theaters. hit theaters before then. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to talk about that sooner rather than later. I think that's like the big November film to talk about. Um, besides Hillbilly Elegy, right? <laughs> that said, uh, thank you as always for listening. We'll see you all next week from the internet, California. I am John Negroni. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. From the internet, Kansas City, I'm Abby Olchesi. See you next time.